0: Stand with me, please, and let's ask the Lord to bless the opening of His Word. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, and for the honor of Thy Son, and the salvation to the truth of Your people, bless Your Word, Your servant and Your people, to hear the things that You have for us in Your Word. We thank Thee for saving us from so much from Adam's sin, from our sins, and from all the errors of men, to know the truth that you've given us. We rejoice in it. Oh, Lord, what we do not see, open our eyes that we might behold it plainly. What we see and do not keep, give us the strength and conviction and reminding to do those things. And, oh, Lord, we shall follow thee as closely as we can, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's continue our study of salvation by asking questions of an Arminian, which is that persuasion that many of us came from in the past. And thanks be to God he saved us from it. The Apostle Paul was so thankful to have been saved out of Moses' religion to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and spent the rest of his life opposing those that he had once worshipped with. And we have to do that at times. And so we're doing it this way by raising subject matter that pertains to salvation and then asking questions concerning it. And I hope that it's a good review for everyone and that it helps establish our children in the truth. Election and predestination. Arminians typically believe... God looked down through time on the human race and chose those men to eternal life that had chosen Jesus by their free will to be their Savior. And then He predestinated them to heaven. That is what an Arminian believes about election and predestination. Sinners do the choosing, and then God chooses them because they first chose Him, and then He predestinates them to heaven as believers. We look at things a little differently, and we're going to review how we look at things a little differently by asking a few questions. Mr. Arminian, if the total depravity that we looked at last Lord's Day is true, how many would be saved without God electing sinners to salvation without their will? And we want them to think about it, and we want to think about it. If God didn't elect to salvation against our wills, based on what we've already learned about total depravity, how many would be saved? None. Amen. Zero. None would be saved. And so election is necessary to salvation from the simple point that we've already covered, and that is the total depravity of man. If God ordained all men to condemnation for unbelief, how many are saved? None, because we've all been unbelievers at different times in our lives. Right. You know, Armenians are fond to say that Jesus didn't die for the sin of unbelief. He died for all our sins except the sin of unbelief. Well, if he didn't die for the sin of unbelief, every believer was once an unbeliever. Right. If he was ever an unbeliever, then Jesus didn't die for his sin of unbelief, and we're all going to hell right. if they would ever be consistent with their ideas. That Jesus died for all sins, but not for the sin of unbelief. In order to save any, Mr. Arminian, must God be fair? And in your idea of fairness, that is, submit to man's will? Or can he be unfair by saving by grace over our will? Because that's how we view it. We believe that God did look down in time upon the children of men, don't we? Because it says so in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And when you look at Psalm 14, which we did last Lord's Day, it says that the Lord looked down. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. Now we want Him looking down for one particular thing, and that's the thing that the Arminians say He did. We want Him looking down to see how many were going to believe on Him. So the Bible says in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, the second verse, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So we are very thankful for that statement being in the Bible that the Arminian thus far is right, that the Lord did look down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. What did he find? It's in the third verse. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And the Apostle Paul would take this in Romans chapter 3 and say, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God by combining verses 2 and 3 from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And we thank you, Paul, for doing that by the Holy Spirit. We thank the Holy Spirit for having Paul do that. And so we do believe with the Arminian... That God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that would choose Jesus Christ, and he found none. So if it wasn't for election, there wouldn't be anyone saved. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's a simple point. Now you're at Second Thessalonians chapter two. Mr. Arminian, when we look at this verse, it says so many wonderful things. Do you agree that it's a wonderful verse in the Bible? Second Thessalonians two thirteen. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Mr. Arminian, why are we bound to give thanks to God for the events and timing of salvation? Because he's the one that did it. We're bound to give thanks to God because it tells us that God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. It tells us He did it in the beginning when we weren't around. And it tells us He did the choosing. So that's why we're bound to give Him thanks. Even the apostles with all their apostolic power did not give each other thanks for the conversion of a single one. One apostle would water. One apostle would plant. Another apostle would water. But yet... It's God that gave the increase, even when it comes to conversion, let alone election, justification, or regeneration, or glorification. Mr. Arminian, who chose who, and to what end? In Paul's great contrast of the saved to the wicked in this verse. Who chose who? Did men choose God, or did God choose them? We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you. You didn't choose Christ. God chose you in Christ. God chose to save you. You didn't choose to get saved. God chose. Mr. Arminian, look at this wonderful verse. You're missing its glory and its beauty and its power. Did God choose men to believe? or because they believed in this verse, hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of spirit and belief of the truth. Right. Now we wouldn't want to confuse him so we don't even go as far as we understand this verse. Because he's never divided salvation in his life. And see, the salvation that is in this verse is salvation from the man of sin that is described in verses 2 through 12. It's doctrinal, practical... Gospel salvation. And how are we chosen to it? God chose us to salvation, and He chose us to sanctification of the Spirit, which is God setting us apart and making us holy, which makes us saints. And then He chose us to believe the truth. There's a great category of men right in front of this verse that He sent them strong delusion so that they would believe a lie that they all might be damned. This tremendous contrast which they don't understand because everything in verse 2 through 12 doesn't have a thing to do with you or me. It's all out in the future when some antichrist comes with a purple 666 in his forehead blinking on and off like your alarm clock when the electricity has gone out. I hope you all, see we wouldn't take them there. Don't take an Arminian there. Some things are just beyond them. And that's beyond them. They've never divided the word salvation. They would just look at this and say they can only see two things in this verse, hell and heaven, because there's an S word in it. This is beyond that. This is teaching us much more. We're very thankful for the salvation because if we just went by numbers, do we belong in verses 9 through 12 or in verse 13? Are there more in verses 9 through 12 or more in verse 13 when it comes to the man of sin? The mother church. Is it close? It's not even close. So we're thankful to God. And we're bound to give thanks to Him always. We don't ever take five minutes off and thank a soul winner. And this is even dealing with conversion, let alone sanctification of the Spirit and election and justification by Christ. But we just wanted to show you a verse... Mr. Arminian, that shows that God chose us. We didn't choose him, and God chose us from the beginning, and God chose us to believe, not because we did believe. Look at Acts 13, 48, since we're on this subject of being chosen to believe. Acts chapter 13 and 48. Remember, this is only a sample. The problem with this is I can't, it's hard for me to make it just a sample. It's too much fun studying it, and so, I'm around 400 questions. You know, usually when you Google questions for an Arminian, and you can do that. Go home and just put in questions for Arminian. You'll find somebody that's come up with five or ten. And we're at 400, and it's just a little excessive. You don't need that many. But we do need a review. Acts 13.48, our brother, a beloved brother. Let's call him what Peter called him. Our beloved brother Paul is in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia. And he, they, he he was given an opportunity to speak, and he certainly did speak. And then we find this, verse 48. Well, let's get verse 47, because let's get verse 46, because it has a, a G word in both verses. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. When they saw the Jews filled with envy in verse 45 and speaking against what they had just preached, contradicting and blaspheming, then Paul and Barnabas, I'm in verse 46, waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, And glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So what salvation did the Apostle Paul bring these elect of God? The salvation of gospel conversion. Practical salvation from the errors that they had held as Gentiles. Because God had already ordained them to eternal life. As many as God ordained to eternal life believed. So we don't believe in order to get ordained to eternal life, Mr. Arminian. We believe because we were ordained to eternal life. And God chose us to eternal life and salvation and the belief of the truth from the beginning. Please get those things straight. We want to have them straight. Was it man's choice to believe the foolishness of preaching? Or was it God's choice for some men to believe the foolishness of preaching? First Corinthians chapter 1 will give us the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Mr. Arminian will help you by telling you what passage you can go to for the answer. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21, God is explaining the origin of preaching and his plan for preaching. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. God wisely saw that man's best efforts would not end up knowing him. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Gospel salvation. Salvation to the truth. Practical conversion. Because we're talking about the knowledge of God. We're not talking about the elimination of the first Adam's consequence by his disobedience in Eden. We are not dealing about the change of nature. We're talking about believing the gospel. Because it it has already been told to us in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Those still, related only to the first Adam, those still not born again are perishing, and the gospel to them is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, the gospel is the power of God. When a man that is saved hears the preaching of the gospel, he knows that is the power of God. That is a message that describes God's power whether that power be in the doctrine of representation or the power of a virgin birth or the power of His resurrected Son or the power of His ascended Son, he sees the power of God in it because he's already saved. When a man isn't saved, the Gospel can't help him. But when a man is saved, he hears the Gospel and it's the wisdom and power of God as we're about to read again. Verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Jews want fire from heaven like Moses could bring down, and the Greeks wanted something that tickled their intellect like their philosophers had given them. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified. Notice, Mr. Arminian, that the Apostle Paul did not adapt his methods to his audience. He continued to preach Christ crucified, knowing that it wasn't what the Jews wanted because they wanted a sign. It wasn't what the Greeks wanted because they wanted wisdom. And to the Jews, it became a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it was foolishness in that 23rd verse. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And what does it mean to be called? It means to be ordained or to be appointed to eternal life, just like we read in the previous verse in Acts thirteen forty-eight. Does the word call and sometimes mean that it is the verbal request of you to do something? Sure, but that's not here because this is something God does before you hear the verbal request. This is a different calling. This is the calling of Romans chapter 8 that's part of God's golden chain of salvation that extends from His foreknowledge of us to our glorification in heaven with predestination, calling, and justification being in the middle of that chain. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, God is able to use the foolishness of preaching to convert Jews and Gentiles that otherwise would be would think that the gospel was a stumbling block and that the gospel was foolishness. What makes the difference? Mr. Arminian, what makes the difference? Verse 26, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen. Remember, Mr. Armini, my question was, who chooses? Who chooses any to believe the foolishness of the gospel? Would a Jew by nature believe the gospel? Never. Would a Greek by nature believe the gospel? Never. How do any believe the gospel? They were ordained to eternal life, and they believe the gospel. God chose them to believe the gospel, just like we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, He's chosen us from the beginning through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel. For ye, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. It's God's three choices in those verses, not man's choices. And why? He tells you why He did it that way in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And when God does the choosing, no flesh will glory in His presence. When men do the choosing, though they may try to be modest and humble at times, or because they're inconsistently ignorant of their own theology, they don't glory like they should. Because if God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did everything for those in hell as much as those in heaven and the deciding difference is the sinner exercising His will, then He by all means should get some glory for getting to heaven. And the only reason they don't get up and talk about the glory, they do though if you've ever listened to them, about the number of souls they've saved, they've never saved a single soul. That salvation is all of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And even the apostles understood that even in when it comes to conversion, if anyone was converted, God had given the increase, even when it was Paul doing the preaching. Was it man's choice to believe the foolishness of preaching or God's choice? The answer is God's choice, and then it tells us why. Mr. Arminian, are there more saved for salvation of the less fortunate or the more fortunate? You would say the less fortunate. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. Right. Everything is always for the glory of God, Mr. Arminian. And so whenever we, can, whenever we see a doctrine that doesn't bring God the ultimate in glory, we know that it's wrong. Right. That's one of the ways we reason. We don't care if it's highly esteemed among men or not. We want to make sure it highly esteems God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it important to God that no human ever glories in His presence? It's important. How is he guaranteed it? By doing the choosing himself of those that would have never chosen him. Just like it says there. How does a man either Jew or Gentile get into Christ if we keep reading in this passage? It's in verse 30. Mr. Ameny will help you with the verses. We know that it when it's not 3 and 16, it's hard to find. But 1 Corinthians 130 So our question is, how does a man, either Jew or Gentile, get into Christ? But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, not of you, not of anyone else, but of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Again, it says that as according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That Those first few words of verse 30, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. How do we get in Christ Jesus? It is the choice and operation of God that puts us in Christ Jesus. He chose us in Him before the world began. He assigned us as the sheep to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fa- those that the Father gave me, I will lose none of them. This is how we get into Christ, and it tells us so right there. Now Mr. Arminian, you should be familiar with Ephesians chapter 1 because it's such a great passage. Does the Bible say God chosen and predestinated some to salvation there? That yeah, we know the we would say the answer is yes. They would want to qualify that answer in some roundabout way to take away from that passage what it actually says. Some of them will put will do this. Ephesians 1:4 according as he hath chosen us in him. God only chose those that were already believers in him to be saved. Well, if God hadn't chosen them, then how did they get into Jesus to be saved? By their choice? Remember, God looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did understand and seek after God, and there was none. If He chose them because they were already in Christ, then what did He choose them to be in? He chose them in Christ. And on and on it goes. You know, when you, when you get over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, And it plainly says, let no man deceive you by any means. The Antichrist is coming before Jesus Christ returns. Do they have a way to play games with the Bible? Yeah, the day of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord are two separate events. And on and on it goes. Even though it says very plainly, let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come of the Lord Jesus Christ return except there be a falling away first and the son of perdition, the man of sin, the son of perdition be revealed. Constantly changing the word of God. We want to be consistent and faithful and fit all the scriptures together. Are we consistent and faithful with John 3.16? When John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, we know that God does not love every single person ever conceived on this planet by a long shot. We're very consistent. They wouldn't know a verse in the Bible about the hatred of God if you gave them a week and a concordance. They wouldn't even be able to find it. Their eyes are so closed they can't see anything but their little 3.16. And you say, you're making fun of John 3.16. Not any more than I was making fun of Acts 2.38 of the Church of Christ. Right. Nor any more than I make fun of John chapter 6 where it says, except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye have no life in you. Do Roman Catholic priests like that verse? Oh, yes. Have they ever used that on the unsuspecting before? Like how many times? Everybody wants their little sound bites from the Bible and just keep repeating their little sound bites instead of making it all fit together. We may not use John 3.16 as much when we quote and speak to each other because we understand the difficulty of bringing it up and having to explain it because of all the improper teaching many of us have had in the past. Since we're talking about election and predestination, Mr. Arminian, did God make any human vessels to dishonor? Did God do that? It's Romans 9.21. Hath not the potter power over the clay to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Has he already been over the fact that there's an Isaac versus an Ishmael? Has he already been over the fact that there is a Jacob versus an Esau? Has he already been over the fact that there is a Moses versus a Pharaoh? So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, Pharaoh. And so it goes on to say in verse 18, So the Lord hardeneth whom he will. He's got vessels of honor and he's got vessels of dishonor. He didn't make them sinners. We're all sinners from Adam, both legally and vitally by nature. All he has to do is let us go and we'll be just like Pharaoh. We'll be just like Cain. We'll be just like any other sinner. And so he hardens them in their sins and leaves them there where they chose to be in their first representative in the Garden of Eden. I know that that's a staggering thought, Mr. Arminian, that God did make some human vessels to dishonor. Is a potter unfair with the clay, Mr. Arminian? When the potter takes some clay and makes something beautiful and then makes something ugly... When he makes a porcelain dish for your china cabinet and a porcelain pony for your restroom? Is he fair? Does he have the right? Does he have the authority? Hath not the potter power? And I've preached all this to you before. You know it all. I mean, you know these things. But we're reviewing them. Does the potter have the right to do that? Absolutely he does. My next question then is, why did he make human beings to dishonor? Why did he do that? And it applies just as much to their theology and sodiology as it does to ours. Why did he do it? Why did he ever create anyone when he knew by their by omniscience, which they admit, that many were not going to believe on Jesus Christ? Why did he go ahead and create them? For vessels of dishonor, turn their own guns on themselves. The Bible tells us in Romans 9 why he did it. Right. What if God Willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels. Oh, he's still talking about clay and pottery and a potter? The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Amen. He tells us why. Is God willing to show his wrath and power in the lives of some men, Mr. Arminian? Yes, he is. And we deserve it. We chose it in the Garden of Eden. Why do you consider what I've just told you to be unfair? Why do you think it's unrighteous? Because in Romans 9.14, Paul already answered what your mind was going to do. He knew that you would ask this question. So he asked, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Right there in Romans 9.14. Mr. Arminian, has God appointed any, man, any men to wrath? Since First Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And because First Peter 2.8 says, Whereunto they were disobedient, even whereunto they were appointed, their disobedience, yes. Are there some men ordained to condemnation? Jude 1.4, yes. When were they ordained to condemnation? Before of old. How far back is that? I love the Bible. I'm glad he doesn't use the same terminology in every place. It helps us define words. What does it mean before the foundation of the world? Before of old. Well, what's old? Adam is old. Methuselah is old. But before that, they were ordained to condemnation. According to Jude 1.4, that's the doctrine of reprobation. Oh, I don't believe in the doctrine of reprobation. You don't? Mr. Arminian, you don't believe? In the doctrine of reprobation, that God rejected some and never gave them a chance to be saved because He only gave them one chance? What do you think about the angels that are reserved in chains to everlasting punishment? What is the name of their Savior? Why didn't God give them a second chance? Do you think that He's unfair? Now I know that you've got in pulpits, Mr. Arminian, and said that Calvinists are unfair. But have you ever got in pulpits and said that God is unfair for not giving the devil a second chance? Mr. Arminian, let's make it very simple. Is God omniscient? They would say yes. Does God's omniscience mean that He knows all things that are going to come to pass in the future with absolute certainty? If God knew that those that would believe on If God knew those that would believe on Jesus to be saved, why did He create them knowing this? If God knew those who were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved, if God knew that, why did He create them? Because God believes in election. From from their perspective. If God knew those that would not accept Jesus to be saved, Why did He create them knowing this fact? Because He chose to have vessels of dishonor. The difference, Mr. Arminian, between you and us is we just go to the places in the Bible that tell us that He did this and why He did this and that His love only extends to His elect. You end up with a mess with God loving those that He casts off forever into eternal torment as much as those that spend eternity with Him in heaven. That is confusion. You accuse us of something that you have made up called double predestination. You just get all haughty when you talk about, well, I just don't believe in double predestination like that. Sir, Mr. Arminian, you believe in double predestination because God saw those that would believe on Jesus and He predestinated them to heaven. And God saw those that wouldn't believe on Jesus, and He went ahead and created them anyway, predestinating souls to hell. Some of you may never have run into that before. They will just start harping about double predestination. To elect some and to leave others in their sins to go to hell, you are setting the destiny of two different categories. And if you want to call it double predestination, call it whatever you will, but it's not called that in the Bible. Mr. Arminian, if you think election is unfair, do you think the rest of God's choices in everyone's life is unfair as well? Are all men created equal? Forget the Declaration of Independence and try a King James Bible, Mr. Arminian. Are they not created unequal? Did God ask anyone if he even wanted to exist? How's that for a sovereign God, even though you cannot end it no matter why or how? Did God ask anyone about what he wanted in the way of parents? Nationality, race, intelligence, generation of birth and the thousand things that I've gone through with you before, the factors that just change our lives drastically from prosperity and pleasure to pain and misery. They don't believe in election. Election is everywhere you look. Some people are good looking and some people are ugly. Some people are smart and some people are stupid. Some people have good parents and some people have terrible parents. Some people have opportunities for great jobs and some never get them. Some are born into prosperous countries and some are born into countries of abject, total poverty. They're never going to even own shoes for their feet. God makes all those differences, Mr. Arminian. Why do you think it's unfair? We had a Garden of Eden that could have been called paradise and we chose death and destruction and dysfunction. Instead of what God had offered. When God makes an offering, look what we choose. But I thank that God made some choices and didn't let me choose. In James 2 and verse 5. James 2 and verse 5. Did God choose men because of their faith? Or did God choose to give men faith? In James 2.5. five, Another reference about this particular matter. You have said, Mr. Arminian, that God looked down through time and saw all those that would believe on Jesus. And therefore he elected them, so it's conditional election. We say God looked down th- through time and saw that no one would believe on Jesus, so God elected us unconditionally and then caused us to believe on Jesus. What does James two five say? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen... The poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Did God choose the poor because they were already heirs of the kingdom? Or did God choose the poor because he was going to make them heirs of the kingdom? Did God choose the poor because they already had faith? Or did God choose the poor to give them faith? We've already had that explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he chose the poor and the base and the foolish and gave them faith by calling them into life and appointing them to eternal life. It was his choice in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that they would believe a gospel that the Jews would reject because it wasn't a sign and the Greeks would reject because it wasn't intellectual enough. Mr. Arminian, which do you prefer? I'm going to give you two questions. Why did God not save everyone? Why did God save anyone? Which question do you prefer? We prefer the latter. Why did God save anyone? We didn't deserve salvation. We couldn't cooperate with it. Why did He choose us? We made our choice in Eden. But God, blessed be His name, overrode our choice with His choice. Mr. Arminian, why do you keep accusing us of making God a respecter of persons because we believe in election? Election is choosing a man irregardless of any conditions that he might have fulfilled or any relationship you had to him except for the fact that the election might involve the poorer, the baser, the weaker, the more foolish. Why are you calling that respect of persons? Your God elects based on men that believed on His Son Jesus Christ. That is a respecter of persons. Did Jesus say of His church, Behold, I and the children which gave themselves to Me. In Hebrews 2.13, Behold, I and the children which gave themselves to Jesus. What does he say? Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's election. What is the point of election if God chooses those that chose him? What does that election mean? It means nothing. It's confusion. It's a violation of words. God made the choice of election. Blessed be the name of God. We are bound to give thanks always. To God, for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel, and it goes on to describe that. Always remember, beyond this sermon, that that thirteenth verse is making a contrast with verses nine through twelve, where those that have fallen to the ways of Satan and the deceitfulness of unrighteousness of the man of sin and the son of perdition are given over to a reprobate mind to believe delusionary things, to believe a lie that they all might be damned. The contrast between 9 through 12 and 13 is very great. And that is why we are bound to give thanks. It is God's choice. And it was God's choice from the beginning to deliver us from the condition that we had put ourselves in. And that is total depravity. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. May the reminder remind us of what the Bible says so that when we find arminian sound bites we can look at them and say i know that that cannot mean that because of this massive evidence that the rest of the bible teaches if i look in the context if i compare scripture with scripture i can find a place for that text where it fits properly and appropriately neatly and cleanly and that's the way we study the bible that's the way we're taught to study the bible no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No individual, unique, separate, standalone interpretation. All must fit the whole. And the whole is plain enough. And when we look with just a little bit of effort, something they do not do, that's why they can't even find phases of salvation. They can't even rightly divide a word that is used in so many different ways, like the word saved in the New Testament. Because they don't do that, they just find these sound bites and use them as hammers. And we want to fit it all together together. Gloriously, may the Lord bless His word. God has chosen us, we have not chosen him. We love Him because He first loved us. We believe the truth because He chose us to it. We believe the truth because we ordained to eternal life. We believe the truth because we were called and chosen to it, First Corinthians chapter one, and all God gets all the glory, even when apostles are involved, it's God that gives the increase. Praise His glorious name, and thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Amen.